Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today we have somewhat of a unique guest. Many of us may be familiar with the increasingly popular fetish known as pup play. But have you ever played with a cat? Well, today's guest is here to share with us their experiences as a kinky, naughty cat. So let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more Leather Talk. Everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Quinn. Hi, Quinn. Would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hello. Uh, I am Quinn, also known as Felinix. I am the vice president of the Iowa Pets and Handlers. My uh, gender identity is non-binary demiflux, uh, subcategories demi-man and agender. Sexual orientation is androsexual gray ace. Uh, disability language is neurodivergent and person-first language. I've been in the leather community, living the lifestyle for about four years and part of the community at large for two. Iowa Pets and Handlers went through a period of leadership change about two years ago, and I was part of the restructuring. Uh, As part of that, I was the driving force behind transitioning from pup and handler to pet and handler and have done a majority of writing our governance documents. Awesome. Awesome. It sounds like you're actually pretty involved and before we kind of dive straight into this, uh, I, I wanted to really have you on the the podcast because uh, you do identify as a cat. Is that correct? Meow. <laughs> so before we get into the cat thing, um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your your gender expression and sexual orientation because I think for some listeners on the podcast may or may not be familiar with the terms that you used. Sure. So non-binary literally means not of the binary, means that my gender expression is neither masculine or feminine. Uh, I exist somewhere outside of that uh, binary. Uh, Demiflux specifically refers to basically somebody who is non-binary, who doesn't feel like any of the subcategories uh, like demi-man or agender is like their primary gender expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being generally non-binary is the, the primary gender expression. Um, demi-man meaning feeling sometimes masculine and sometimes something else. And that sometimes something else is agender usually for me, though occasionally uh, I do feel a little feminine. Okay. Uh, And then androsexual is basically because I'm non-binary. Saying that I'm homosexual doesn't quite fit because I don't like the same gender per se, but I do find myself attracted to masculinity uh, in general. And gray ace is a subcategorization of asexuality uh, where somebody isn't 100% asexual. They maybe just have a very low sense of attraction and sexual desire towards other people. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So how, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm old enough to know better and still too young to care. (laughs) I like that answer. I like that answer. So uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of your coming out story and what that, what that looks like. Um, Are you, are you living at home with family? Are you, are you on your own? I am on my own presently. Uh, I did live with my family for quite some time into my late 20s. Um, Probably about a third of my life, they knew that I was not heterosexual in some form or another. Um, They were Baptist, and that complicates things a little bit. When I told my mom that I was gay, she just looked at me and she says, no, you're not. What? (laughs) I mean, technically, it turns out she was right. But oh, not, the right, not the right that she she thought. Um, my brother and I don't really talk a lot. 
my sister and I talk a lot, but not a lot about my personal life. Mm-hmm. And my dad is kind of your archetypical male father figure in that he is fairly distant. He has, to paraphrase, said something along the lines of, you're clearly being confused by somebody, but I don't think it would benefit our relationship to argue about it, but I do love you. So he thinks that you're kind of like brainwashed into your life. Yeah. 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 Basically. That is all too familiar to me, that conversation. (laughs) Or I'm like possessed by a demon or something. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, So when did you figure out yourself that you were something other than heteronormative or straight? Um, So this is probably a point where we might want to, you know, put in a little trigger warning and a jump to section. So just a short disclaimer here. Quinn is about to talk about a pretty sensitive subject where we will go into sexual exploration at a young age. And part of their story does include a situation that was non-consensual. I felt it important to leave this section in simply because it is a major part of Quinn's personal story. And I do hope that some listeners out there who may have gone through something similar might be able to relate and know that you are not alone. With that said, if this sounds like a topic that might be sensitive for you, you may want to skip ahead to around the 10 or 11 minute mark. We are now going to continue our interview with Quinn. Okay. Uh, My brother, when he was about 13 and started going through his um, puberty sessions, and I was about nine. He used me for some of his exploration. Okay. Uh, And starting my puberty off with that experience kind of muddles a lot of how much I can really say what is innate and what is caused by that experience. I see. And I spent a lot of time kind of obsessing over that, um, probably to an unhealthy manner, which is partially why my brother and I don't talk. Um, And he just, I don't necessarily blame him because, you know, kids are going to do what kids do. It's just the things he did when he didn't know better affected me in ways that are very difficult for me to tangle out. You know, I think it's very courageous of you to share that, you know, here on the podcast, because I I know there's listeners out there who have possibly gone through some of the same situations that you're talking about. And I don't, I'm, I won't pry, you know, too much, but I do want to know, uh, so this experience that you had at a young age, would you consider that a non-consensual situation or was it more consensual? I think it falls into that category of when somebody has a position of power over you, can you really say that 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 you can give consent to them? Mm -hmm. Um, He was my big brother. I thought he was cool. I was glad he was spending time with me. I wasn't at a point in my development where I really knew what what was going on. Mm -hmm. Other than, you know, he was spent, he was hanging out and we were doing some things that made my body feel weird. I see. Uh, so does does your brother identify as straight today? Um, so probably about 10 years ago, uh, my brother and I got into a bit of a shouting match at a family get together. And afterwards, he came to me and said, basically something along the lines of, you're the only guy I've ever done anything like that with which I think he said to try and make me feel better, but Mm. strangely didn't. (laughs) I see. I see. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sorry that that experience may have been negative for you, but, but, but I I just want to thank you for sharing that, you know, um, and being so transparent with that. So when you, once you moved on kind of from that experience coming into your, your puberty years, uh, did you have partners of the same sex or, however you would want to describe it? Uh, I didn't get a lot of experience in my 
formative coming out years. Um, I lived in a, what to you would probably be a very small town. It's the second biggest town in Iowa, but it's still really small comparatively. My high school had two other openly gay people, uh, one of which was very much not my type and the other of which was very much out of my league. I, I had a short-lived, very cringy relationship with somebody from another school in town, but we didn't have any kind of sexual experiences. I didn't really have what I would consider consensual real sex until I was 18, whereby I did some cruising at the local uh, dirty bookstore. Uh, okay. And that was kind of my first, like, real experiences with sex. So was that kind of, like, scary for you to explore it that way? Or was that more of, like, a, a thrilling thing that you sought out? Um, I think it was kind of half thrilling, half kind of a goof. Because <laughs> the, the, place, the place where the Dirty Bookstore had an arcade, like, oh. with actual pinball machines and shit, Wait a second. When you say dirty bookstore, you're talking about like a porn store? Yes. Okay. I'm like sitting here thinking about borders. <laughs> no. No. So you're talking about pornography. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yes. I feel like there's yes. a story here. So I'm going to let you keep going. <laughs> uh, so I, I used to like occasionally, probably about once a month, go to this, this bookstore and uh, both... I found it kind of hilarious to be playing these arcade games that made a lot of noise in this place that's supposed to be like this super serious, like, don't talk, don't make noise kind of place. Right. And then also go and get my dick sucked and suck somebody else's dick. Because what else am I going to do while I'm waiting for some somebody somebody really hot to come in? Right. <laughs> so did you like, you, you said that you experienced this when you were 18, did you like literally go on your 18th birthday and you're like, yeah, I'm old enough now. I can walk in there. Uh, I don't think it was quite that immediate, but it was shortly after I was 18 and I was like, okay, this is a thing I can do now. Uh, that's just my personality. That's how I've always been. I didn't step foot into a bar until I was 21. Come to find out apparently in the gay world, you can just, if you're cute and young enough, go wherever you want and get whatever you want which I wish I had known. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your first experience with a gay bar or a, or do you have leather bars? We kind of do. We have a bar in Des Moines, which is about two hours from my hometown and about three and a half from where I live now, where they had pre-pandemic a monthly gear night and it was kind of kind of the home of the leather community in Iowa. It's the bar that hosts and runs the Iowa Leather Weekend, which is the Iowa title holder competition. So that's the bar that would have been the leather community bar. But I didn't really get too into that bar until about two years ago when I started really embracing my kink identity as a primary portion of my identity rather than just something I was interested in. Okay, so this is kind of unique because a lot of people that I've spoke to on on this platform have had like first experiences at a leather bar, but it seems like you've been out for a long time before kind of coming into your own like kink identity. So can we talk a little bit about like when did you first discover your kinky side and what was that like and, and how did you discover it? Um, the internet. Mm. The, you know, pornography, uh, photo, photography, artwork, um, nifty.org were my real first introduction to anything kinky. Mm. And kind of at the time, it was something that I thought was really hot but wasn't really something that seemed to me like like a thing I could be part of. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot of what I looked into when I because I that's the kind of person I am as I do research. Uh, kind of suggested that traditionally, if you wanted to be part of the leather community, you needed to know somebody in order to be you know seen as legitimate and kind of be introduced and inducted. Mm -hmm. 
But in Iowa, where was I going to find somebody like that? Right. How was I going to make that connection, particularly when I have a shitty car that I didn't think could travel? And the only place where I could possibly is two hours away. And what am I going to do? Drive two hours there for the hope that I might meet somebody and then maybe have to drive two hours back at 2 a.m. Right. After drinking, you know. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a whole journey and a job. Yeah. So it it was just something where the kink community wasn't accessible to me. So everything I kind of had to learn was things I had to learn on my own and do my own research and and kind of grow personally and on my own without any help from other people. So what was one of the first things that you explored like for yourself as far as kink? So probably the first kink uh, experience I had was um, I did some really stupid thing in which I met somebody online and uh, said, you know, he said, you know, we'll tie you up and and we'll have some fun with you or whatever. Mm. We being himself. I don't know why I used the royal we there, but <laughs> um, it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. I was kind of expecting something more than just being tied up and having some toys used on me. For some reason, I was expecting something more. There was something missing from that experience. And I think what it ended up being was this wasn't somebody who I felt had some kind of connection to a community. Hmm. It wasn't somebody who I felt was going to be anything more than just some random guy that I hooked up with once. So it's not like his experience went into any anything deeper than tying you up and playing around with you for a little bit. Yeah, like... When I went to hook up with some guy who was going to do some kinky things, I think I expected that to lead to this whole other world, like this whole other thing where I could explore even more and find more people. Mm. And it just didn't go there. It was literally just a guy I drove an hour and a half to have some really okay sex with. <laughs> I mean, so what, were, were there any um, like positives that came out of that experience? I guess it left me hungry, mm. you know, giving me that little taste of something that just wasn't enough, knowing that there was something more I wanted. So what happened after that? Like now this plant seed has been planted. You kind of have your first taste about it. It wasn't quite what you thought. Where did that send you? What path were you going down after that? It was a very late blooming seed. I ended up getting into, after that, a relationship, and then that relationship didn't go anywhere. Uh, a, a vanilla relationship, that is. Okay. And then after that, I ended up in a five-year vanilla relationship, and that didn't go anywhere. And I think I was just trying to live this assimilated experience mm -hmm. to, you know, become the acceptable gay, the gay that can take their kids to a preschool or whatever and can adopt children or whatever and be respectable. Yeah, like sort of fit into the social norm and still be accepted as gay because you you fit in. Yeah. So obviously that didn't work out for you? <laughs> not really. Um, but not, not because the relationship didn't get kinky. Mm -hmm. That relationship actually could have allowed a lot more freedom and liberal experiences for me. It just was I felt a little more tied to that location mm. than would have allowed me to explore. Because uh, we had a very open relationship. We had a very much the kind of understanding that I was going to go hunt daddy bears and he was going to go hunt Twinkie boys. And we would, you know, come back later and talk about shit. But because I was kind of living with him at the time... It was really hard for me to feel comfortable being like, I'm going to bring some kinky shit over. You've had like these couple of relationships. Did you just not do anything kinky between then? Uh, like nothing terribly more kinky than that second relationship, the five-year relationship. It was during that relationship that I actually bought my first harness. Hmm. But I think I just had gotten into such a comfortable place of complacency that I didn't feel a driving force to take chances and be somebody else, despite not being happy with who I was. Um, so, you know, I'd gone to some 
I'd gone to Chicago during Pride and snuck in, well, not snuck in, but, you know, went into some of the bars that had back rooms uh, and dark rooms. And when I say sneak in, I kind of more have this image of me just being very timid and not really being aggressive about the things I wanted mm-hmm. and to experience the things I wanted. Uh, so I didn't get as much out of that as I do now when I go. Sounds like you were kind of holding yourself back for some reason. Yeah, that is very accurate. Why Why do you think you were, you know, kind of doing that to yourself at that time? I think it related to not feeling 100% comfortable in the relationship I was in to be as honest with them and myself as I needed to be. So are you in a relationship now? I am currently single. So how long have you been single for? So I have been on my own about a little over a year. Um, Before that, I was living with a kinky couple, um, a dominant and his servant, and I was their house pet. That more or less came to an end because I had grown over the course of that relationship Mm -hmm. to be more confident in who I was, to have a better understanding of the kink identity that I was seeking. And they wanted me to stay home and to never go out and to never be with other people and to be monogamous in their polyamorous relationship. And that just, when when you're a cat who is constantly craving attention from all sources, it's a little bit painful to be in a situation where you can't go have adventures. Right. And I, we'll get into more of the dynamics of the cat, but I, I, I can imagine, you know, they, they kind of want to treat you as sort of like, like a houseboy that just kind of sits around and waits for their attention. And that's just obviously not you. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your coming into leather. I, I, I usually ask this question to, you know, every guest that I can is what was your first piece of leather or, or gear? It sounds like your first piece of gear was that harness that you mentioned earlier. Is that right? Yeah, um, it was, I think, about $60 from Leather 6410 in Chicago. Uh, it was sort of something I had picked up almost as if as if I wanted to push myself to say, I've got this thing, now I need to use it. Mm-hmm. But I ended up not really doing that. But having it made me feel a little bit more legitimate in being a person who could be interested in leather and kink. So it was sort of like a first step, kind of like putting your foot in the water. <laughs> to some degree, yeah. Um, more like buying your butt, your bathing suit before going to the pool. Ah, uh, I see. It's like, well, now I have this. Now I've got to use it. Right. <laughs> I got it. So when was the first time you wore it or, or have you worn it? Oh, I've worn it a lot. Um, okay. For a long time, it was my only piece of leather. Uh, even getting into the leather community in the past... Uh, for three or four years. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the first piece of leather I really owned. I had been spending a lot of my money just on traveling because I wanted to build more of a network for myself. I was kind of in this place where I thought, you know, I don't really know anybody. I, I'm not part of the community yet. And I have to be out there doing things in order to be a member of the community. You can't just be a member of the community sitting home alone all the time. Right, you have to be present. Yeah. So I ended up investing most of my money just on traveling, um, picking up a couple toys here and there. But for the most part, that leather harness was my primary piece of leather. I did end up spending a pretty penny to get a a custom leather hood for my cat side. Um, But for a very long time, those were my two primary and only pieces of leather. That's really awesome. So it was sort of like you're like, I'm just imagining you have this harness that you're finally like, it's your only piece of leather. And it's kind of the only thing that you were able to or willing to spend money on at that time because of all of this traveling that you're doing. It was sort of like your key to like, this new world that you're trying to explore. Yeah, it's, it's the thing that made me feel like I had a right to be there. Mm -hmm. Just being myself in a t-shirt didn't really feel like I was legitimate. Like people seeing me wouldn't view me as anything more than a tourist. I think now that I've been more in the community, I feel like that was more insecurity than reality. Mm. For, for a lot of the people that I interact with on a regular basis, 
they're very open and, and welcoming and they don't they don't make me feel like you have to have any specific thing in order to be around. So basically what you're saying is, you know, you don't really need a piece of leather to necessarily be a part of the community, but at the time, that's what made you feel more integrated and more of a participant versus an observer. Correct. Got it. Got it. So, you know, you were mentioning earlier about how like you went into like these bars and and the back rooms and kind of felt in some way that you were holding yourself back. When was the first experience that you had where you really felt like, okay, like, I'm just letting it all go. I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to be my full kinky leather boy self or whatever it is. When was that experience when you just let go or have, has that even happened yet? I think it was, it was sort of a gradual process until just the dam broke. Um, for probably about six months or so, I went to Tank Night in Minneapolis, which is an event at the saloon where they shut all the windows and lock the front door. And the only way in is through a side door from another section of the bar. Hmm. And they turn down the lights and they put porn on the, the videos and you can basically be as clothed as you want. And that was kind of my first really big, like kinky, be there and be not an observer mm-hmm. experience. And then from there, I went to a couple different events in Chicago at the Jackhammer and Cell Block, where again, it was mostly just backroom fun. And then when I started being more involved with the Iowa Pets and Handlers group, and we sort of announced our name change and logo at the Iowa Leather Weekend, that was kind of the weekend where everything just was unleashed. Uh-huh. Wow. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Like, do, do, uh, do you have like a kinky story from there that just like set it off for you or? <laughs> I think there are a couple. Um, so the first night as sort of a, a gesture towards the Iowa Pets and Handlers, mm-hmm. the Iowa Leather Weekend let us run a clothing check for a mostly clothing optional dance party. And over the course of probably eight to 10 hours, no, that, that seems way less, over, way more. But over the course of this time, there were a couple guys who came in and I was very flirty. And <laughs> I said, I would love to get a smell of your downstairs business. And most of them said, go for it. So there in the vestibule in front of other people waiting in line, I got down on my knees and got good smells mm. from the from the downstairs business. <laughs> so you're talking about the crotch area. <laughs> yes. yes. Got it, got it. <laughs> it was very nice. Um, the next day, at the beginning of the day, the IAPA was running a mosh. And I was talking to somebody and I said, hey, because I was... I was a little high off of my success from the night before. I said, I would love to get a, get some smells of your downstairs business. And he said, well, it's early in the morning, so you're not going to get much. And I said, well, after you've been running around a little bit today, when you come back and see me, you don't need to say anything. Just grab me by the shoulders and put my nose in there. And then he did. And I was very happy. <laughs> so it, is that one of your kinks then, like smells? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm very scent-oriented. Pits and genital smells are very nice for me. So you like that kind of like, just came back from a run, like, let me smell your crotch and your ass kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to definitely ask you a little bit more about that in a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but, you know, it seems like we're kind of leaning into your more of your cat identity. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what does it mean really to identify as a cat? We have we've had several pups on the podcast before, but never a cat. So I think that the key kind of concept for me anyways, and I always try to temper any t- time I make general statements that this is just my view and my opinion. And if there are other cats out there, they can feel however the fuck they want because that's really the key thing about being a cat. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, it's about attention on my terms. 
I might endure something that I don't want to have to deal with, but there's a threshold at which point I will bite or run away. Just like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> so do you like, you know, I, I have all these questions that I've just been thinking about. Because, <laughs> like, you know, we have the pups and like we all kind of know how that looks. You know, if it, it's kind of a, a growing community, you know, in, in the leather world. Uh, like, do you do you lick yourself? Do you purr? Do you, do you use a litter box? I mean, <laughs> what are some of the... Uh, so there are a lot of things that I kind of associate as being cat-like interests. So I really like video games, which to me are just very fancy lasers. Okay. Um, I may not lick myself to clean myself, but there are parts of my body, particularly my armpits, that I enjoy licking from time to time. Mm. Um, <laughs> I have not gone so far as to do any kind of litter box thing. It feels a little out of the, the range of cleanliness that I associate with cats. Oh, I see. Um, but I have, in relationships, had clothing restrictions where, you know, cats don't wear clothes, so I don't wear clothes. Uh, mm. Animals are only allowed on the furniture when a human lets them. And, you know, animals don't eat human food. They eat pet food. Interesting. Which is not like they didn't open up, you know, fancy feast and make me eat it. But <laughs> they, they uh, formulated some human consumable food that was not the most appetizing as sort of this expression of you're not people mm. idea. Is, is there any sense of like subdom or any kind of like sadomasochist kind of element to this? Like you're less than human or is that more of like a not part of the experience for you? See, with cats, it's so complicated <laughs> because with a cat, there's shades of both. Mm -hmm. You own the cat and shades of also the cat owns you. Right. So... I think there's a lot from the outside that looks very like submissive or something like that, but it's just so complicated because it blurs those lines. Right. Right. It's I, I'm just thinking back to the cat that I had for, I think it was like 10 or 11 years and she lived a long time. Uh, but yeah, like you, you would call her over and she just either look at you and walk away or come up to you. Like it was totally by her own terms, whether or not you were going to be petting her at that moment. Yeah. So, you know, there are things that I would do and I'd be willing to do, but it was all on my terms. Mm -hmm. So it was very much, you know, submission on my terms. And I'm going to pull out a, a I'm going to paraphrase Parks and Rec where April Ludgate says, dogs obey, but cats choose to cooperate. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, definitely. I definitely see the difference there between like kind of the pups and the cat kind of attitude now. So I know we have like those moshes and you were kind of describing a mosh earlier of, of sort of like those pup play mosh pits and everything like that. Do cats uh, have their own mosh pits or do you play with other pups? Like what does that look like? So generally there, there, there isn't a lot of cat community um, partially because the cat attitude is not one where we seek community. We are usually very much of the mindset of we have my, I have my human, I don't need anybody else. But then there are those who are like me who just want attention from everyone and want to be mm. everywhere and do all the things. Yeah, you have that cat but, that's walking around the bar and like going in between everyone's legs. <laughs> yeah, so sort of because of that nature and also because puppies consume all of the uh, resources right now, mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard for there to be anything other than puppy moshes. So generally what I do is I participate in puppy moshes and I harass the puppies because that's fun. <laughs> so do they like bark back at you and bite you and stuff or like? Uh, generally uh, it is bad etiquette for a puppy to bite somebody who is not expressly told them it's okay but okay. the the barking uh there's some rough housing mm. but at the same time you know i've got my bap and beans and my murder mittens <laughs> what are murder mittens uh just another term for 
another cute cute term for cat paws. Oh, I see. I see. And are those similar to like the mittens that the pups wear or are they or are they different? Um, it's not actually like a piece of gear. It's just a cute way to refer to one's one's hands. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so like toe beans is a very common way that humans refer to bio biological cats is um, little foot pads. Okay. Um, so then from toe beans comes bappin beans because you bap people with your beans. <laughs> and then if you're feeling a little bit more aggressive, you don't bap, you murder. I see. And you want to alliterate those. So, <laughs> uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about like maybe what does this look like sexually to you? Like specifically to you, what are maybe one of your more sexual experiences like playing as a cat? So there's some differentiation between who I'm playing with and what they identify with. So like with dogs or puppies, I'm going to be usually a little bit more, you know, dominant or feral. And, you know, I'm gonna be mean, because that's what cats do. And I'm also going to remind them who is the important one and who matters. Uh, There was an experience where I was riding this puppy's dick and... I'm biting him on the neck and saying, now you see what it feels like and how good it can be when you submit to the superiority of a cat. Mm, okay. And with a human, it tends to be a little bit more what involve tasks and uh, activities that one would ascribe more submissive connotations to. So things like being tied up and being edged and having a little bit of, you know, nipple torture. Oh, because they're the human. They they own you kind yes. of thing. And it's not me seeking my own pleasure. It's them pleasuring me. Mm. All right. And again, on your own terms, I'm sure, right? Yeah. You're coming up to them and you're seeking that attention. Absolutely. Have you ever had sex like in a mosh or like a, any kind of play party as a cat? Um, so generally speaking, uh, the moshes that I've been to have not been environments where sexual contact is acceptable ah i see um i have been to i have been to events thrown by pet and handler organizations that have very strong sexual overtones okay um i have been edged in a back room of a bar by a very 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 beautiful human and it's you know less of the crawling on all fours kind of thing and a little bit just more of the I'm gonna meow and I'm gonna feel good and I'm gonna nuzzle and headbutt and sniff and you're gonna you know rub me the right way nice so do you actually go up to people like at the bar and like meow (laughs) (laughs) usually only if they're they're in puppy gear ah okay well could, could you give us a little meow so we can hear what it's like meow Oh, that's a very seductive little meow. <laughs> that is so cute. <laughs> when I meet you in person, can you come up to me and meow? <laughs> I will I will try to remember. Okay, cool. <laughs> so let's talk about your involvement with the with the leadership position that you have. What what is the organization that you're a part of again? Uh, it is Iowa Pets and Handlers. Okay. And that name has changed, right? Correct. You were saying earlier, what, what was it called before? So when I started getting involved, it was the Iowa Pups and Handlers. Okay. And part of my like first goal in that organization was to champion this idea that everything we should do should be thought about and constructed in a way that ensures that nobody who we want to be there feels like they have to ask permission to be there. I see. So they, you changed the name specifically to welcome more or to include more people into the scene. Correct. Okay. You know, I, I was I was part of this sort of reimagining, redesigning committee where you know the the previous leadership had abdicated and not really left much infrastructure in place. So we were building everything from the ground up. And I said, you know, is this a place where somebody like me, who is a cat, can participate? 
Is this something that I can be there and be part of, not just as a visitor, but as a member of your community? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then you should change your name so that it's very clear to other people so that nobody ever has to ask again. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because if you go to a puppet handler's event and you're a cat or a lizard or whatever, whatever it is, you have to ask, am I allowed here? Because it's a pups and handlers thing. It's not an animals or, or what, what, what did you call it? Um, pets, pets. pets and handlers event. So that, that is a little bit more broad. Yes. So have you seen more more animals come into the into those spaces now that you've changed the name or have you seen any changes so not so much and part of that i think is a symptom of the way that the iowa population is spread out okay so we don't have a really great way of integrating people who don't know that they're there's a place for them. Right. Because uh, they're very much possibly in the same position that I was in when I was, you know, late teens, early 20s, saying, I have this desire to be part of this thing, but I have no idea where to go to be connected to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the sort of current mission statement plans for Iowa Putts and Handlers is to form relationships with other queer bars in Davenport and Cedar Rapids and Iowa City um, and Waterloo, the kind of bigger metropolitan areas, and have a regular event where we can kind of be out there and be seen so that people know where where to get in contact with us. So what would be your advice to like someone who kind of is going through the same experience that you were growing up and like kind of reaching out but not sure where to go? Um, I think with the advent and evolution of social media, that's so much easier now because, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't a Titans of Midwest Facebook page. Mm. There, there may have been like a corn haulers, uh, like website, but you know, how are you going to know that's the leather organization in right. Iowa? So having social media, I think alleviates a lot of that but you still have to know what you have to know that that part of you is there. I see. I see. How did you first discover yourself as a cat? Like how did, how does someone kind of come into that? So for me, I had always felt very connected to the feline. Uh, growing up, we had a dog and a cat, but it was the cat that I actually really liked. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, there was anything particular about that cat that I liked specifically. I just identified with her a lot more than I identified with the dog. The, you know, aloofness, the being really cute, but not desperate. Um, (laughs) So, you know, growing up, I, it was something that was kind of in the back of my head as sort of this concept of this animal quality connection. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into middle school and high school, I got into anime, Mm -hmm. which one of the one of the tropes in anime is the cat girl. I was going to say there was a crew of girls in my junior high school that would walk around with like these fuzzy tails and and like cute little cat ears. And um, like they were a whole anime crew. (laughs) Yeah, um, I think a lot of. I think there is a lot of correlation there because in these cat girl animes, there's, I mean, the cat girl exists for the consumption of the male protagonist Mm -hmm. um, to be a cute thing that the man dotes on and loves and wins the affection of. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people who don't really realize that that's pet play. That's so interesting that you say that because it's just so funny. Like now it's finally clicked for me. Like you just saying like the, about the, you know, middle school girls walking around the anime characters or having those anime characters. It's just, it's true. It really is like an animal play thing, but I guess I never thought about it like that at the time. And, you know, that segues into the idea that pet play isn't always sexual. It's not always about the thing that arouses you. 
physically. It can be a thing that arouses you emotionally. It can be a thing that makes you feel more comfortable, uh, a thing that is an expression of a more authentic version of yourself than your everyday regular self. So do you walk around town like 24-7 and internally feel like a feline, or does this come out at certain times? I, I feel like the cat is always in me to some degree. It's just sometimes it's a little bit less socially acceptable to meow or to headbutt somebody for for a little bit of, of petting. Okay, but so there, you're not necessarily always... going to like Trader Joe's and getting groceries and meowing at the cashier. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, but there are cat qualities that are very strongly things that come out in daily life. So things like, so for me, my cat personality is very much, you know, the supervisor of the house. The one who maybe doesn't do the work, but does make sure that things are being done properly and in the proper way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to be around when things are happening. I may not want to be involved in the thing that's happening, but I would like to be at least nearby. I see. So can you tell us a little bit about like your outfits? What what does that look like when you go out for a night as a cat? So for me, um, generally it involves a leather hood that I have, uh, but sometimes I also have little hair bands that I have gotten from shops that are more oriented towards women but are still very cute (laughs) and uh depending on the kind of specific mood i'm in because i also have interest in sports gear Hmm. i might put on a singlet and a harness or i might just be in a harness and a kilt i've also bought some very very cute very very gay shorty shorts and (laughs) so i i bought recently uh, a netted tank top that has a matching netted short that has a jockstrap built into it. Nice. I like to say it takes the guesswork out of being slutty. <laughs> <laughs> Can you like see all of your glory down there? Like, or is it covered by the jock? Uh, so the glory is covered by the jock, uh, but the glory hole is not. Ah. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, can you describe to us a little bit about what this cat hood looks like? Does it cover your whole head like a pup hood or is it kind of like special ears? Like, what is that? So as of right now, there are, as far as I'm aware, and I do regular periodic research into this, there are no full hoods that that are in the vein of what you see from Mr. S for puppies. Mm-hmm. It is It is a line of questioning I have pursued with Mr. S though they have made it very clear to me in the polite way uh, that it just isn't financially viable for them to put in the time. Uh, yeah. Cause like you said, there's not like a huge busting community to like fund all of the production. Probably they're going to put into making hundreds of hoods. Right. And I think that's partially because there aren't a lot of us and also partially because puppies consume a lot of resources. So now were they willing to like make you something custom? They, that is actually something I specifically requested as well. And they said that that it was not something they're doing. Uh, I see. Okay. Well, we'll see how that changes. Yeah. I hope. Hopefully. But uh, the, the hood I have is uh-huh. much more of like a mask. The front, the front face plate covers my forehead, eyes and nose and leaves my mouth area open. And then there are straps that go around from the center of the head and from the sides that meet up in the back at a steel ring. And then midway through the the crown uh, up at the top, there are two little leather ears on a strap that comes across and meets the side straps and the center strap on my head. So it's not a full enclosure, which is something I would really like. I would like to have some experience with that because I feel like that would really get me even deeper in that headspace. But that's what we got. Wow. You know what? Um, I think what you have sounds pretty cute, though. Did you put it together yourself or did somebody else do it for you? Uh, There is a vendor, uh, PMC Creations, that does a lot of these hoods. And they do not do 
just puppy or cat hoods. They actually have a variety of, of different hoods. I've seen them produce poodle. I've seen them produce bear. I've seen them produce horse and mouse. So they're very open because A, they've got uh, sort of base designs that they can work from. And then they're also very open to wholly custom work as well. So are you going to like potentially get a full hood covering from them or is that are you not interested in getting a custom thing from them so one of the things i really want is a full wraparound full head neoprene uh, but they are not working in neoprene they're only working in leather and i've yet to find uh i've yet to find any artist working with neoprene who who's taking custom uh custom work oh interesting and is there a reason why you prefer the neoprene hood over like a full leather hood I mean, besides the price, I guess. Uh, it turns out that when you're getting custom work done, it's about the same cost. But the primary reason why I want a full hood is because the leather hood I have is much more of like a show hood. It's the kind of thing I wear out to the bar, but it's got these whiskers on it that don't make it very conducive for actual play. Ah, okay. But a neoprene hood has the added benefit of being very travelable. It has the benefit of being very travelable. It is very easy to clean. I'm a very bad leather dad. I do not take exceptional care of my leather. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, neoprene can get wet. Oh, yummy. <laughs> Well, I did want to kind of ask you a little bit more of a serious question because, and this is sort of prompted by your experience with, you know, having trouble finding like a custom hood. Do you feel that cats and other animals outside of like the pup community per se necessarily feel like, do you personally feel welcomed in the community equally? Or is that something that we still need to grow on? So that's a yes and no answer. <laughs> so I feel like generally people are very nice to me. And they never make me feel like, like I'm not welcome, like they don't want me there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't really have a lot of people seeking me for relationships or sexual encounters. I don't know how much of that is because I'm a cat and how much of that is because I don't always come across as exceedingly approachable. But I think right now in the leather community, Puppies consume a lot of space and resources and just aren't open to sharing it with other people. I've talked to leadership in some of the pup and handler groups about changing their name. And they come back with, we've asked our membership and they say, we don't need to make that change. Uh, so what are some things that you would like to see possibly in the future as far as including you know, more cats and other animals? So one of the things that I'd really like to see is right now, the terminology that we use, I don't wholly like. Even pet play, I feel is, it ends up excluding people that we don't intend to. So with pup play, feral um, uh, dogs feel like they're welcome in, uh, in pup play. But if we use pet play, they feel like, well, that's not our place because we're not pets, which is why I think moving to human animal role play as an overarching descriptor is something that I would like to see adopted. Okay. It also, by defining it as human animal role play, it gets away from some of the misconceptions that this is about bestiality. Okay. Got it. Because uh, you're, you're saying it right on the tin. This is about role play. This is not about anything else. And human animal role play is H-A-R-P or HARP. So it's got a very nice acronym already built in. Oh, there you go. I never thought of that. Well, those are some amazing things to consider. I never considered the fact that just by using the word pup play might like insinuate, you know, certain things. And uh, it's really interesting that you say that. But yeah, that, those are some great suggestions. Uh, yeah, I, I think some of that resistance comes from people not realizing that they are being exclusive, that there are people who could be part of their community that don't join because they just don't think that they belong and they don't have the courage to ask if they can be part of the community. I see. And then j just by changing the presentation of it, 
uh, would include the people that may or may not even be necessarily excluded anyways, but just it gives them the opportunity to like be open to coming and, and being a part of it. Yeah. I say Awesome. Well, uh, before we go, I do want to know a little bit more about your, your kinky side. Do you have any other kinks or fetishes that are um, like outside of cat play or cat play, animal role play? <laughs> oh, boy. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, so I've got, I actually have created a document for myself to keep track because. <laughs> okay. Is this a Google Doc? It is a Google Doc. Um, because I like to be able to just, when somebody's like, what are you into? I can just be like, here, look at this. Don't make me talk about it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, primarily the the thing that I think that I get the most enjoyment out of is probably like the least sexy. And that's just making out with beautiful people. Um, okay. One of the things I like to do at like bar events and such is to chat up a guy and be like, you know, I think you're really cute and I'd like to make out with you, which is amazing because it's very direct and it short circuits people. And does it usually work? Uh, usually it does work. <laughs> I can just imagine I think, coming up and being like, can I make out with you? <laughs> and I would probably say yes. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's, it's never just high, nice shoes want to make out. You know, I like to establish some kind of rapport first because usually if somebody's going to continue talking to you, there's something they might be interested in doing. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Um, other interests that are much more sexy uh, include voyeurism, whereby I am the center of attention, of course. Oh, so are you going to be like the exhibitionist or you are you watching yes. other people? Yes, exhibitionism. Ah, okay. Sorry, I, I, I forgot the word. <laughs> <laughs> so you like voyeur, you like the attention of voyeurs to be on you. And what are some things that you enjoy being watched doing? Uh, just anything, really. Um, there may or may not be video of me on someone's uh, OnlyFans. Ah, okay. Um, besides just exhibitionism, I also have interests in milking, edging, electro, obviously, scents, and, you know, armpits. Uh, I have some interests in water sports, as uh, hinted at before, as well as I enjoy spitting and hypnosis. Ooh, hypnosis. Okay, well, you, you caught my attention with milking. What is milking? So milking is repeated orgasms. Okay. So the intent is to make somebody have a lot of orgasms in one sitting. Now, does it last a long time or is it like back to back to back until they're just don't have anything left? So humans have this thing called refractory periods. Uh, if you remember your, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not talked about a lot in high school uh, sex know. ed. But after a man comes, there is a time frame in which the body just doesn't really respond to sexual stimulus and part of milking can be sort of a, a bit of torture because there isn't a lot of response there so there's a lot of stimulation but you're not building towards anything mm -hmm. uh, milking can also involve machinery okay i have uh i have been with somebody who has attached a device to my genitals such that it automatically stimulated until I had multiple orgasms. Oh my gosh, that is so hot. So it's like jerking you off the whole time? Yeah. Wow. It, it creates this suction that kind of pulses and it's just rhythmic and constant. And there's just some kind of delicious mind fuck there in not being able to have full control, but also nobody's really in control. It's all mechanical. It's all under something that you can't really direct. So it becomes very inwardly focused about the sensations you're experiencing and trying to build that sensation yourself towards your orgasm. Nice. I think I've seen this before on certain porns. I'm interested in maybe exploring that. You'll have to send me a, a link to what, what you have so I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then hypnosis. Is this something that you 
have experienced before or is it something that you're just turned on by like the concept of it uh i have had experience with hypnosis yes uh with hypnosis there are a lot of different genres okay so you can have people who are interested in controlling you during a hypnotic state and there are people who are interested in putting in post-hypnotic suggestions to control you afterwards i see can you maybe share with us one of your hypnosis scenes and what, what it would kind of look like? Uh, sure. So I have been taken under deeply and... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> so one of the things, because I have an interest in cum control, is having somebody have that control over me and my orgasm and I have been taken under and instructed how to pleasure myself mm. and during different sessions uh, give myself ruined orgasms and to forget that I've gotten an orgasm. So that also kind of comes into like the multiple coming a little bit. Yeah. That's hot. And is there somebody that you like play with regularly for this or do you just like find people somehow? There was somebody who I played with regularly, but they are not accessible at this time. Okay. As much as I'd like to. I see. And does this happen like over the internet, like over Zoom or something or Skype? Or does this have to be in person for it to like work for you? Uh, I can do either or. The experience is a lot stronger in person mm -hmm. because they have a, a better a better sense of your responses and they can see how your body is responding. They can see just how deep you are where with a webcam, you can't always exactly tell detail. I see. Uh, well, do, do you have a fantasy of yours that you'd like to share that either one that has happened or maybe one that hasn't happened yet that you're interested in making come to fruition? Uh, so I have a loose acquaintance of mine who has told me that he has a program that he puts through virtual reality goggles mm -hmm. and that he likes to tie people up and put them through this as a form of brainwashing. Oh, fuck. And fuck is it hot. <laughs> have you tried it? I've not I've not gotten the chance to try it, but the the mixture of the sensory deprivation plus the mind control hypnosis aspects definitely make my kitten bits and feel kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah, I just I love that concept that you're describing right now. The the brainwashing is like what I really love. That sounds really hot. Um do you have any funny or embarrassing stories related to kink? Uh, so during that five-year relationship that I mentioned earlier, I tried to be kind of dominant with this person and just something about the way he said yes sir to me, I just couldn't take him seriously. <laughs> and I just, I could, it completely broke any kind of character I was trying to build, I, I completely lost focus and broke up laughing. <laughs> what did he do? Uh, he was very good sport about it. He, we had a, a rapport where, you know, sex didn't have to be this super serious thing. It was okay. fun and we could have fun with it. And then a little bit more recently, <laughs> I went to a certain bar and there was a very cute boy and I chatted him up and made out a little bit. And while we were talking, he said that he was very much exclusively a submissive bottom and that wasn't really what I was looking for. But I told him that I could give him a very enthusiastic but unskilled blowjob. <laughs> okay. And so I did. And it was both enthusiastic and unskilled. <laughs> I know. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm not very great at sucking dick either. I, every time the doctor like goes back there with the throat suave, I'm like, I'm, this is, I'm the worst at this. And I can almost guarantee there's nothing back there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really great just getting to know you and listening to some of your kinks and some of your experiences and coming into leather. Before we go, do you have any message that you'd like to share with our listeners? Meow, uh, meow. <laughs> please pet please pet no touch only pet uh and also 
remember that kink can be very serious and gruff and hard, but it also can be giggles and snuggles and soft. That's really cute. Thanks for saying that. Well, how can we reach out? How can we uh, get connected with you and uh, maybe the organization that you're part of? Sure. So my personal Twitter, which I post to rather infrequently and is very not safe for work, is uh, <laughs> at, at F subversus. That is F for Frank, S for Sam, U, B for boy, V for very, E, R, S for Sam, U, S for Sam. And I can also be found on Telegram uh, by Forlorn Scribe. And you can search me on Facebook as Felinix, F-E-L-I-N-Y-X, and find me there. And if you want information on the Iowa Pets and Handlers, you can type in iapah.com or .net or .org. Okay. <laughs> it's all owned by the same... Uh... The same yes. group. Got it. Got it. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming on the Leather Talk podcast. We really appreciate having you here and sharing your story. And we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we go, I'd like to remind all of you that in the midst of COVID-19, there are several organizations in the Los Angeles leather community that are here to help. The LELC Cares, Boulevard Pantry, and LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or anyone you know is in need of assistance, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And remember, all you cool cats and kittens, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.